Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Welcome to the holiday season. And now before we start playing our favorite holiday music, what are you doing for year's end when it comes to fundraising? Do you have a plan? Did you have a plan? Are you executing your plan? Did you forget and figure, that it's too late? Well, the question is, is it too late? Lots of great questions, and here to help answer these and other questions is Dan Rayhill. Dan is a Managing Director for Wintrust Wealth Management. This is going to be a really good show. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to have you. Let's get right into it because the clock is ticking towards the end of the year, Dan. Is it too late to approach our donors about an end-of-year gift? No, no, definitely not, Joe. It's the right time of year. It's the time of year people normally take out their checkbooks and write checks to charities. And as year end approaches, I think before we get into the financial aspects and the benefits of charitable giving, I think the best strategy for our non for profits is to make charitable uh, giving to, to get our clients to understand and to express their desire to heed the calls of need in their communities, especially in the time of COVID. So, the need, the giving, I think that's important, as well as engaging and providing example to the next generation, their children and grandchildren, of the importance of philanthropy and giving back. Mm-hmm. I think those two things, the desire to heed the call of their communities in this difficult time of COVID the last two years, and then also setting an example of giving for their legacy, I think those two are the most not important non-financial Uh, points that we need, strategies that we need to uh, utilize with our donors. And then finally, I don't want to let the tax tail wag the dog, so to speak, but the benefits of tax-efficient charitable giving as a CPA, that's what I uh, usually close with to show them that it can reduce their tax liability and eventually their estate tax bill through the use of tax-efficient charitable giving. Let the tax tail wag the dog. Boy, that is a good one. (laughs) With all of the talk about inflation and and other economic issues that are going on in our country right now, are we in a favorable giving environment? We are in one of the most favorable giving environments. And uh, let me explain why. The stock market right now is at an all-time high. Individuals are sitting on more appreciated assets than ever before. Uh, Lest I explain the value of real estate as well and how that has gone up and the types of unrealized gains that they are sitting on. And those capital gains they're sitting on, if they were to sell those assets before death, are taxable at capital gains rates, 20% plus 3.8, so close to 24% right now. By giving those appreciated assets, they avoid the capital gains tax that they would incur upon sale. So there is definitely a tax benefit associated with it. But beyond that, just the run-up of the stock market and other assets, real estate assets and the value, we all have more now than we ever dreamed we would have had a year or two ago, certainly since the beginning of COVID. And I think this is a, a great economic time to consider charitable giving. Somebody mentioned to me the other day that because 
the building boom has been going like crazy. I mean, there's there's housing and, and apartments going up everywhere that some of these companies have made a lot of money this year. And they might also be thinking about, hey, we got to cut some money. We got we to gotta start giving some money away to kind of lessen our tax burden. Is that is that the case? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Whether it be a pass-through entity, uh, an LLC that passes through to individuals, the individual would get the deduction at, at their individual level. But a C corporation, a corporation that pays its own taxes or a trust that pays its own taxes, definitely is sitting on appreciated assets, could avoid the gain upon the sale of those assets by making a charitable contribution and getting a fair market value deduction. Also, I just want to mention too, let's go back to the tax tale on the financial charitable giving dog here. The tax rules this year, there are some unique circumstances in the tax law that we want to take advantage of in uh, 2021. There are some laws that expire at the end of this year that are advantageous to charitable giving in 2021. Many of our non-for-profits solicit donations from those donors who do not itemize. And to give you some background, 90% of all tax filers do not itemize on their tax returns. They don't have 24,000 as a married couple of deductible items. And therefore they don't get an advantage, any, any benefit from charitable contributions. Well, for this year only, if you give cash and you're a non-itemizer, you can take a deduction of $300 if you're single or $600 if you're married filing jointly off your tax return. It's called an above the line deduction. It's not an itemized deduction that expires at the end of 2021. So I encourage everybody to get out and solicit those non-itemizers for cash if they haven't yet to make sure and educate them to tell them that they do get a tax deduction on those deductions. Those are 90% of taxpayers and it's a big population and uh, of donors that are out there. It reminds me of something that you wrote recently, a piece that I caught where you were saying how 2020, even though it was a rough year with COVID and everything, it was like the best year ever for charitable giving. And do you think 2021 is going to be the same? I do. I think when the data is finally collected uh, sometime in 2022 for charitable giving in 2021, we will see a similar increase of 2021 over 2022, uh, 2020 rather. In 2020, charitable giving went up 5.1% over 2019. I think you'll see a similar increase in 21 over 20. Why? Again, I go back to what we talked about earlier. So much appreciation in the stock market, in assets such as real estate, that individuals can give away in a tax advantageous way by avoiding capital gains permanently by giving those assets to charity. And the, the fact that those assets have run up in value and people have more assets to give, as well as people following through on their estate plan. There has been a lot of talk the last few months coming out of Washington with regard to the Build Back Better plan and whether that would change the estate tax regime. Well, that has accelerated a lot of people's planning with regard to their estate and what is a cornerstone of reducing your estate tax liability it's charitable giving so we've seen a lot uh, in 2021 as far as planning and giving is concerned through a variety of, of charitable vehicles it, it it just i think it's going to be a good year that's great news so is there a specific trust or fund 
that the nonprofits in our listening audience today should be paying closer attention to when suggesting to donors how they can make a gift? Joe, I get asked this question a lot, and I've really broken it down to seven major strategies that I discuss with people first. Of course, there are more strategies out there, but the seven most common and and one that everybody should have in their arsenal when they're talking to donors is qualified charitable distributions. What that means is someone who is age 70 and a half and has an IRA. And recall that at age 72, individuals with IRAs are required to make something called required minimum distributions. That means they've got to start taking taxable income out of their IRAs or non-taxable if it's a Roth IRA, but taxable income out of their IRAs starting at age 72 based on their life expectancy. Well, starting at age 70 and a half, a slightly, slightly sooner, they're able to take up to $100,000 out of their IRA and give it directly to a charity. And I'll quickly go through some other strategies that I, I talk about uh, quite a bit. Charitable remainder trusts. I just set one up for an individual, a friend of mine, who received, put $100,000 in a charitable remainder trust. It's a charitable remainder unit trust. He and his wife get 6% of that $100,000 for life. So their life expectancy, let's just assume it's 30 years, they're gonna get $6,000 a year for 30 years. Whatever is left in the trust goes to charity. Because there is also a charitable element to it, you get a charitable deduction today. And based on their ages in this situation, they got a $19,000 deduction, tax deduction today on that $100,000 gift, and they will get a, an annuity of $6,000 for life. It, it actually works out that if they live long enough, they will make money on this deal, as well as give money to charity, as well as get a tax deduction today. So uh, it's a great benefit and it's something that people who are able to should look at. Uh, a couple others uh, is just one uh, that I wanna talk about, a charitable lead trust is just the reverse. It's giving a charitable annuity to a charity today, with the remainder going to, for example, their family or kids as a gift. Finally, I don't think I need to talk about much about donor advised funds or private foundations. They are great vehicles, uh, especially to bunch deductions, especially for those who are not normally itemizers or are on the edge. They may wanna bunch their deductions through using a donor advised fund in several years all at once to get the charitable deduction and then in later years not give anything when they fall out of itemization. And finally, charitable gift annuities and pooled income funds. Much less common, but much simpler. A charitable gift annuity is simply an annuity. It doesn't require an attorney to draft. It's, a, it's simply a contract between the nonprofit and the donor and, and no lawyer is, is necessary. We can look up, I can look up what the annual annuity payment might be is in the same thing with pooled income funds, people coming together, letting the charity manage their money, but then getting a return on that. Um, it's a win-win for both charity and the individual themselves. This is a great conversation, Dan, and I'm hoping that for the nonprofit professionals that are listening, I'm hoping that they are going to send the link to this podcast to their development directors 
for those who are listening who are not in development because this is a schooling. This is 101 stuff. This is this kind of thing that development directors need to know so that when they're thinking about going after these larger gifts, you know, going after donor advised funds, going after the private foundations, charitable remainder trusts, et cetera, et cetera, that they know what they're doing. We're going to take a break here because this is just fabulous information. We're going to let people stock up their coffee a little bit. When we come back, Dan is going to share with us some last minute tips for nonprofits to still take advantage of end of year giving. And we're also going to look towards 2022 and give you a chance to kind of look into the crystal ball a little bit. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I am Joe Turner. We'll be right back. One of the biggest challenges facing nonprofits today is securing grants. Where do I find information on grants? How do I write a grant? And how do I submit the grant? And then, of course, the dreaded midnight deadlines. Hi, I'm Teresa Stos, and I have been there and done that. At Sukup Strategic Solutions, we have a team of expert grant writers with years of experience writing hundreds of grants for nonprofits just like yours. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation about your grant writing needs. That's S-O-U-K-U-P strategicsolutions.com. Let's work together and get the grant that your nonprofit deserves. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Dan Rahill, about end-of-year fundraising and if it's too late for 2021. What you need to know about charitable giving, the opportunities for people to make gifts before the end of the year. Why do they do it? How do they do it? And Dan, you've been doing this a long time, and you've helped hundreds of people focus on their charitable giving. But this next question might be a little tough for you. Take us inside the mind of a client of yours and how they think about and consider their charitable giving, especially at the end of the year. How do they do it? Well, I go back to, from a nonprofit perspective, the three strategies. Number one, what's the mission? What do you want to accomplish? Do you want to help your community that especially the last couple of years has been in greater need because of COVID? That's the first thing. The second thing is, is what's your legacy? What do you want to contribute to society? What do you want your kids and your grandkids to witness? What kind of character do you want to display to them? And what kind of legacy? What do you want them to think of you one day when you're gone? And are you charitable? Are you a giving person? And finally, it's the financial aspects. And no matter your age, there are definitely financial benefits to charitable giving that we've talked about from a financial point of view, from a tax savings point of view, from an estate and gift tax planning point of view. There are ways to zero out a taxable estate, no matter if you're Elon Musk or Bill Gates. You can do it using something called a foundation, a a private foundation, the Gates Foundation. Warren Buffett has his, and he's giving a lot to the Gates Foundation. You can give it to the government or you can give it to a non-for-profit. Who do you think is going to better utilize those funds going forward and provide greater benefit to society? I argue the non-for-profit and I would, that's what I would say to any one of my clients, which is a potential donor. Can you give our nonprofit audience some do's and don'ts when planning for 2022? Well, for 2022, I'm going to continue on the theme because I think our stock market rise and our real estate rise will continue 
at least into mid 2022. And I am not an economist. I'm a CPA and tax attorney, but I will say that I think this, this, this will continue for a bit longer as the economy emerges from the gloom and doom of, of the COVID days and we've gotten back on our feet. So what does that mean? That means appreciated assets will continue to appreciate. Those with those types of assets will continue to grow their portfolios. And it will also provide the opportunity to shelter more tax capital gains by giving away fair market value of those stocks of that land, of that real estate, whatever asset it is that, that they can give to charity, but in most cases, stocks and bonds, to give those stocks away and avoid the capital gains tax of 23.8% were they to sell those assets. So that should continue into 2022. I don't expect a lot of change in the estate tax area until 2026, when the rules will definitely change and the lifetime exemption will be cut in half. It's in the current law. And unless Congress changes it between now and 2025, we will see a change in the estate tax laws in 2026. People anticipating that as we get closer, going through 2022, 23, 24, will start giving more assets away. And for the reason that the estate tax is a 40% estate tax, and they would rather move those assets into a non-for-profit through a charitable contribution or a charitable remainder trust, for example, rather than to die with those assets and give 40% of what's left to the government. So I think in 2022, and as we get closer to 2026, from an estate tax point of view, there will be more giving as well. And that should be stressed with our clients that this cliff is coming and they have a few years to prepare for it. Why not set up that family foundation now, that charitable uh, remainder trust? Why not set up that donor advised fund and direct assets to the not-for-profit today? So what are some tricks that nonprofits might not have thought of that might make a difference in the new year? Well, we've talked about a lot of different types of assets. Uh, one we have not talked about so far and that, that's kind of missing out is life insurance. I have helped clients set up life insurance policies where they don't have what we call an irrevocable life insurance trust and, and, and their estate's not so sophisticated to have that, but they do have life insurance policies that upon death would trigger an estate tax, would, would be estate tax taxable, and they can gift those life insurance policies to a charity or take out a life insurance policy, give that the remainder value to a charity and pay the premiums during their lifetime and get a charitable contribution for those assets. So I do know a lot of non-for-profits that do like to solicit life insurance policies as an alternative asset of giving. There are a lot of different assets that we can give and a lot of different ways to give it, but uh, but that's one we have not talked about today. And it's, it's kind of a, a more obscure one, but one I wanted to mention. That is a great tip. Thank you for that, Dan. As we've been talking, I've, you're going through so many great topics. Again, as I said earlier, I think people are going to be listening to this podcast a couple of times because there's a lot of great information and I encourage folks to listen again and, and, and take some notes because there's some really good stuff going on here today. Is there a question that I might not have asked you that you think I should ask or just something specific that you'd like to share with the audience? There is, there is one final question 
And because of the topic we've discussed today, we truly focused, laser focused on charitable giving and the rules around that. But this question that has not been asked yet really, really has an overarching impact on charitable giving. And that is, what are the prospects for tax increases in 2022? There are sections in the Build Back Better Act that I want to point out that are huge tax increases on those of those that are listening right now, or if you're a non-for-profit, for your donors. If someone makes over $500,000 a year, starting in 2022, married filing jointly now, over 500,000, their taxes, their ordinary tax rate will go up by 3.8%. The BBB proposal, the Build Back Better proposal that's being discussed in Washington right now, would apply that 3.8% tax to all income, all individual income. And what that means is someone with ordinary income and they're making over $500,000 as a couple or $400,000 as an individual, that will go up by 3.8%. In addition, there is a huge tax increase in this current proposal for what I consider the more ultra wealthy. Those making over $10 million a year will see their tax rate go up by 5%. So their ordinary income tax rate will have a surtax on it of 5%. And if they make over $25 million, it's an additional surtax of 8%. One of the best ways to reduce that tax bill is through charitable giving. It might be through a family foundation, a private foundation. It might be through something as simple as a donor advised fund. Or you could set up a charitable remainder trust, a little more complicated, but I've written them and they're not too difficult. Uh, to implement. So charitable giving is one way that you can counteract these big tax increases that are coming. So stay tuned on that. Keep watching the legislation in Washington. It would have a direct effect, though, on charitable giving of high wealth individuals. You've given us a lot of information that can really spell some great successes for nonprofits if they just do a little bit of homework and they take good notes from from the things that you're telling us. want to thank you and wish you the best holiday season. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure and happy holidays to you and yours. Once again, it is time for Coach's Corner. This is where we take the questions that you send us, the issues you might be having at your nonprofit, whatever's on your mind, any questions you have, you send them to us, and we, in turn, ask our impact coaches for their answer. But the catch is they only have five minutes with which to answer your question. Today's impact coach is Cheryl Sukup, president of Sukup Strategic Solutions. And Cheryl, this is a great question in terms of boards. The question is, my board asked me to draft gift acceptance policies and procedures, where do I start? Really good question. And Cheryl, as always, on Coach's Corner, you only have five minutes to answer the question, and your five minutes begins right now. Thanks, Joe. Okay, so gift acceptance policies and procedures. Um, There's a lot here, and it's too much to cover in five minutes, but I will give you a few tips The very first thing that you should consider is how you are going to communicate with your board and with your staff, your organization, your volunteers, and all donors 
the ethics that you hold as an organization. I think a good place to start is to look at the code of ethics from the Association of Fundraising Professionals and considering adopting that as part of your gift acceptance policies and procedures. Put it right in the document there. And another is the Donor Bill of Rights. I think these two documents sum up what most fundraising professionals accept and adhere to in terms of ethics when it comes to fundraising and accepting gifts as contributions to a nonprofit. So I think that's a great place to start. I think gift acceptance varies from organization to organization. So the first thing you want to think about is what types of gifts are eligible for consideration by your organization? And what does your approval process look like? So there may be some things that you accept all the time and there no prior approval by anybody in the organization is required. So that might be gifts of cash, but there might be other things that require approval. And sometimes it may have to do with gift level or gift type. So as an example, maybe the executive director is able to approve gifts of life insurance and sponsorship dollars, but they aren't able to just approve a gift of real estate that might need to go to the board of directors for approval because there could be a lot of pitfalls in accepting a gift of real estate. So it's really good to define those things in advance so that if an opportunity comes up for a gift that is a little more unusual, especially if you're starting a planned giving program or you have recently opened an endowment fund, um, thinking about the types of gifts that you will accept in advance and having approval and discussion with your discussion with your board and then approval, uh, their approval, and then revisiting those from time to time, I think is a really good practice. So what does the approval process look like? That should be included. And then what about gift refusal? There might be some cases in which the executive director or the board of directors might refuse a gift. And some examples might be it jeopardizes your tax exempt status Maybe the gift is uh, restricted and it's so narrow in its use that it can't be used by your organization or can't be used in a reasonable amount of time. There might be an attached liability that would create a financial burden for the organization. For instance, if you had to pay premiums, for instance, or if it was you know, a situation where you, you had to pay out cash and, and you were not prepared as an organization to, um, to manage that over time. So I think there's some things that um, you may not be ready for. And in considering all of this, over time, your board may say, you know what, we wanna become prepared and ready to be able to accept more types of gifts. Um, some things that are a little bit easier are bequests and um, your gift policies and procedures, your gift acceptance policies and procedures should also include sample language for your bequests. So many times the language that's used in, in a will will be uh, language that causes difficulty when it's time for the gift to be made. And so I think if you are able to give language to your donors and make that readily available to them when they're considering a gift, even if they don't tell you that the gift has been made, 
sometimes, a lot of times, you won't know that somebody's put a bequest for your organization in their will. And I, and I think um, making that language readily available on your website, making it easy for them to discuss plan giving with you, having some literature that has uh, language in there, I think that is a very, very helpful to a donor and can really benefit your organization in the long run, making it easier to accept the, the gift when the time comes. The other thing that's important is a power to vary clause. So if you if you accept an, an endowment gift, for instance, that that gift could you know have, have a very long horizon and require certain things of you, and you know you may want to vary the use of that gift in the future. And having a clause that protects your organization and the donor's intentions will be really really useful. So that's important to add in there as well. There's so much more that we can talk about things like when you need to get an appraisal, how you negotiate unusual gifts within your organization, do you use gift agreements, what's included in the gift agreements, all of that can be included in the gift acceptance policies and procedures as well. So there's so much more to this topic, but um, at least that gives you a little bit of an idea of where you can start. And there's a lot of resources available to go ahead and, and get started and at least create a draft and then start talking with your board about all the possibilities. And we love those possibilities. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Joe. If you've got a question for Coaches Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter at impactability.live. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit. Mm-hmm.